Welcome back to the Golf Intervention Podcast. This is episode two. My name is Eric Layton, and my co-host here today, as always, Rob Fails. We are two of Golf Digest's best teachers, but more importantly, we are here to help you with your game. How are you doing tonight, Rob? I am fantastic, Eric. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on with me today. I'm so excited to be here. As we uh, hopefully you listen to episode one. If you didn't, you actually don't have to because we're going to start a series right now, um, which we just basically introduced ourselves and then the idea around the first series, um, the reasons why our handicap never improves, or maybe why we struggle to improve our handicaps. Um, that's, that's kind of five buckets that we, that we pointed out in the first episode. And the very first one we're going to take on today is basically creating, sort of assessing the state of our current game and then creating a really good game plan for improvement. And again, I said in episode one, which I firmly believe this is that a lot of golfers are very keenly aware when their game is worse than normal sort of what's going wrong, right? Like you can come in, you get, you and I get these lessons all the time in season where it's like, Hey, I normally shoot this and I'm shooting 10 strokes higher, five strokes higher. And here's what's going on. I'm not driving it well. I'm three putting, I'm chili dipping my chips. Like correct. there's a, there's a very keen awareness of what's going on there. But if that same person said to you, maybe in more of an off season way, which, which again, we'll get into sort of, sort of training as far as the seasons go, but if they came into you and said, Hey, you know, I normally shoot 90 and I want to shoot 80 on average. Mm-hmm. Okay. Different. That's a whole yeah, Exactly. That's a whole different conversation. That's the crux of why we're here. And then when they do that, the problem has been is they go searching for answers. These anecdotes of these, you know, little tips here and there, read a book, watch a video. The, the truth is the best thing they can do is analyze in a very strategic way the state of their current game, just like a tour player would do. We can do that now, amateur golfers. All of you listening here can do this. There's a way for you to track your game so you know exactly where you stand. So when you say, I shoot 90 and I want to shoot 80, you and your coach can say, okay, here are the things you need to get better at specifically. Okay, now the nuance of getting better at it is where the coaching and the training comes in, but we can identify those areas very quickly now. And Rob is going to take us through, um, we're going to reference a few things here today. Um, but Rob has introduced this to me a while back. I've been using it as well. It's a brilliant, brilliant system. And we'll give all the kudos in the world to the, to the folks that are created. And we hope that you will sign up and use their product hopefully as well. If you feel like it's right for you. Um, it's called Game Forge. It's just an app, but there's lots of things that'll do this. We'll tell you why, kind of why we like this one. But as Rob introduced this to me, the statistical way to look at the game, it became very, very clear to me. Someone who's been teaching golf, by the way, for 20, I think 23 years now, um, that some of my approaches in teaching weren't quite right. Not that what I was teaching was wrong, but it could have been better for sure. So and it probably confirmed a lot of the things that you were doing well, right? So it's 100%, kind of a, <laughs> 100%, 100% yeah. confirmed. But in the end of the day, and what we're going to get a little bit deeper into, and I don't want to tease things too deeply with, with what our big game plan is here, but if you can understand who you are as a player, and this is not just a number. It's like, I'm a 15 handicap. Okay, I'm a 12 handicap. Okay, 
What's the difference? Well, it's hard to say, right? But if you visualize your buddy that's, a say, a bogey golfer, and then you visualize the, the person who's the club champion where you play, okay? Maybe you've played around with that person. It's a different picture. Could the, could the bogey golfer become the club champion? I absolutely believe a lot of them could. Yes. Absolutely. You have to know we believe that you could do that. But you can't do it by accident. And so what I've learned really in the last probably year-ish is that as you look at players in different levels, all the skill that they need, all the things they need to work on are not the same. They're not. And Rob's going to detail this for us really, really well here in a second. So as I looked at my even my beginner golf programs that I do at the country club, and we have a lot of these, mostly with lady golfers, but there's mixed groups as well. But as you can picture that group, and since COVID has happened, there's a lot of lady, a lot more ladies playing golf. And the way we taught that for a long time and the way we've taught it this year is very, very different. And I think the results have been dramatically better. And we'll, we'll go into, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of detail some of this as Rob gets into it. But just changing just some of the skill that they're learning and how I teach it to them has been a game changer. And they go out and play and they're feeling like they're doing so much better. And they really are because we do Operation 36, so they're keeping score. And it's really been a game changer. So as Rob gets into this, know that it gets a little – we're, we're going to keep it kind of shallow. It gets way deeper than this. But we're trying to introduce an idea to you generally and then talk about how you can help yourself with this idea. Okay, so Rob's going to go yeah, – we, we've defined it as level we, – we kind of just call it level one, two, and three players. It's a little deeper than that. Um, but we believe you can go – you can jump levels. You can go from never playing to jumping to a level, hopefully, three player. I believe a lot of people can do that. I've done it, by the way. Rob's done it, right? We're level three players, <laughs> That's right? right. And, yeah, and at some point, we never play golf. So there's a way to do it, and there's an efficient way to do it, I think, now – and so, Rob, you want to take us through kind of what level one, maybe just give us a general picture of level one to start with, just to keep it fresh. So if he kind of talks about this as a score, and this will be more scoring average than handicap based, but if Correct. this is you, first. pay attention. Okay, here we go. Yeah, absolutely. So again, huge credit to Mark Sweeney and Brian Bailey, who came up with Game Forge. Um, I was introduced to it, I think, a little over a year ago, and I can confidently say it's been one of, if not the biggest positive things I've done for my coaching in the last, like I said, 10 years, 10 years, <laughs> I've almost been coaching 10 years, but as long as I can remember coaching, it's been one of the best things I've done for, for my, for my business. But we're going to talk about level one players being folks who average higher than 88. So if that's you, we're going to call you a level one golfer. If you average from 76 to 88, that's kind of the intermediate sort of zone. We're going to call that a level two golfer. And then as soon as you average less than 76, these are going to be your plus handicaps. That's your level three golfer. So everything that we're going to do in this podcast is going to be in context relative to that level. If we are talking about short game, we, we might say, okay, for a level one golfer, this is really all they need to do. If you're a level two golfer, we might need to start adding this intention, this goal in here a little bit. And then if you're a level three golfer, there are things on the table that you absolutely have to have nailed down if you want to keep playing as, at a level three or even get to um, the higher end of that level three. 
So everything has to happen in context. And I think that's, that's one thing that's going to set our information and what we're doing with this podcast apart from what you've seen, hopefully on, uh, on Instagram or, or TikTok or, or however you consume your, your information. <laughs> TikTok. Oh my gosh. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so the level one player is somewhere between beginner and he says, you know, higher than scoring 88 on average. So that's a bit, pretty big group. I mean, I think you can look at it, someone who Huge. probably averages 88 and someone who's a complete beginner and know that, hey, if I'm a complete beginner, I'm probably not even be able to keep score from, you know, the T that's appropriate for my, you know, age or gender or whatever. So that's a big, it's a big group, but that's fine. I mean, there's, there's, there's levels that go through that as well. So what, what I've learned, which has really been very interesting to me, is a way to look at this as we break down, um, that type of player and what it is that they're trying to accomplish when they play. What skill do I need? What is it that I'm trying to do? There's really two buckets of shots. And and I used to teach this very differently, by the way. And I don't think it was wrong. It's just a, it's just a different way to look at it. And I think a more clear picture, two buckets of shots. And what are those buckets of shots, uh, Rob? First one's going to be shots to green. And this is going to include your driving your approach shots, as well as your short game shots. So I like to say you have shots to green, but within those shots to green, you have three different skills. You have, again, driving, approach, and short game, which would be basically inside 40 yards, which are all going to comprise of your total shots from tee to green. The next big bucket is going to be total putts, which is pretty self-explanatory. How many total times did you hit a putt on the putting green? And that's it. If you add up your shots to green and your total butts, that's your score. Correct. Total, and, and that kind of simplifies it in a way, right? Hugely. Um, but then as you look a little bit deeper into that, this is sort of the level that I think is unique to GameForge, something I hadn't, I hadn't really heard before. Um, they, they came up with a term called disruptor, which I think is, is a brilliant thing. And when you, when you look at it, from that perspective, what a disruptor is, which, which Rob will define here for us for a second, um, it really helps, again, provide that context for what it is a level one golfer needs to improve on when you track this. So what is, what is disruptor, Rob? So a disruptor would be, in a, the way I describe to students, is it's an effective penalty. It's not a penalty by the rules of golf, in which case you're taking a drop or having to re-tee, but it basically costs you a full shot so a perfect example would be if your ball is in the woods and you have to chip out dead sideways now it, technically that's improving your position so it's not costing you a full shot but again you're still hitting an approach shot afterwards <laughs> so right. you would normally have hit an approach shot you had to chip out you're having to hit another quote-unquote approach shot from that same or similar distance that's basically a disruptor um, another example would be if you are driving and you hit your drive and it doesn't leave the tee box. Well, you're not hitting an approach shot from there. You're still having to drive your golf ball down the course of that hole. So if you go driver and then another driver, there's a good chance that there was a disruptor in there. If you go from, again, not on a par five, but if you go, let's say you're playing a par four, you hit an approach shot and then another approach shot again that's a disruptor and same thing with short game if you hit a short game shot and then you have to hit another short game shot again that's basically a penalty we call that we call those disruptors and then obviously we add penalty shots as well 
penalty shots are not disruptors, but they are penalties by the rules of golf, um, which we don't have to go in hopefully too, too in-depth here for this podcast. But, yep, shots to green, total putts, disruptors, and penalties, that is going to comprise um, the golfer's score. And so that's what we're going to track. So as we Especially look, for our level one golfers. Yeah, yeah, so as we look at going from a level one golfer to a level two golfer, I would think that a lot of people would say, oh, you know, like I got to putt way better. Um, you know, I got to hit, I got to do all these different things. But what, what's really, I mean, I think that my opinion from a, from a level one player, especially on that beginner end of level one, okay, so that there's a big range like we were talking about. And so as my as my beginner groups of golfers this year, what we've been practicing is so again, unique to the short game style is we're just practicing getting it on the green. So we're we're practicing what we're sort of limiting their skill set in a way to make sure that we get the ball on the green cuz that's going to limit the disruptor cuz that that early learning golfer has a really hard time with controlling sort of shots around the green that are going to go high in the air. So if you give it any, any type of a club that's going to hit the ball high in the air, there's going to be a high percentage of shots that miss the green from there, right? So one of the pictures that we create on this level one golfer is saying, hey, your short game should, for the most part, I mean, there's some, I mean, we're making generalities here, but for the most part, you should putt almost any time you can putt. Like if it's even like yeah. generally reasonable, like generally reasonable. <laughs> I like that, generally reasonable. Right? Like, like oh, like, I don't know about that. No, no, no. Is it generally reasonable? So to give you a visual on this, we took the ladies out and I had them on this chipping green, our, our lower chipping green. And I said, we're going to work on hitting this shot from 20 yards off the green today uh, from a fairway cut lie. And I took all the flags off the green. And I said... We're not, we're not aiming at flags today because if they're on the green, they're going to aim for them. I mean, it's just nature, right? I said, and I explained to them the whole idea of getting the ball on the green, how that affects their score, right? So they're, they're you know, I'm their coach, so they're believing me. Um, we, hit a, <laughs> we hit a bunch of shots. But you know what I had them do was, I, first of all, I said, let's hit sandwich first, okay? And a very high percentage of the shots did not end up on the green, right? Higher than you would ever want. What and there's no. Would you say if you were to guess what percentage? I would say on the green. And again, we're not even aiming at a flag, right? I'm going to say twenty percent were on the green. Does that sound about right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's about I mean, right. because you're going to hit, you're going to chunk them, you're going to blade them. Even if your technique is great, I mean, you're still learning at that at that stage of the game just to you know grip it consistently and relax and some of those things. I can't remember where the ball position goes. So like, that's just who you are as a player, right? So we've got to simplify this thing, right? So I said, okay, let's hit your putter next. Okay, first couple maybe didn't get on the green. 20, 20 yards uphill is a pretty far way to whack a putt, right? But then all of a sudden, they're getting them on the green, right? And then we went to seven iron next, and we started chipping seven iron. So, And I'm not afraid to have them use a hybrid, like a four hybrid or something in that no, sense as well. No, I think well. that's an awesome option, especially from there for a level one golfer for sure. So the the truth is you're not as a level one and probably a level two golfer going to gain a lot of strokes in your short game, i.e. from here to there, I'm going to get this ball up and down, okay? What you're going to do, which which has a way bigger effect on your scoring, is you're going to miss the green more often than you're going to get it up and down, and then therefore, you're going to just, you're going to have, you know, this inflated score if you play it out over, say, 10 times around, right? So 
as a level one golfer, that short game, this is just one aspect of it, I believe you should be playing that ball along the ground as often as you can, okay? And forget about the sand wedge from 20 yards, unless you have to go over something. But even in that sense, we can talk about that too. I mean, there might be some other routes. Well, we won't get too deep into that today, but... Your po- the point is, if I get it on the green, I have a decent chance at two-putting, right? If I don't get it on the green, it's going to be a disaster. So level one player, base base your short game. And this is I'm going to make generalities here, but what do, you tell me what you think about this. Level one player, your short game is going to default to putting almost all the time. Level two player, you're still going to be defaulting to putting when you can. And then a lots of chips, which is going to be lower shots that are running. And then as you get into level three players, I mean, and then obviously you're going to be hitting some pitch shots as well when you have to in level two. As you get into being a really exceptional golfer, you've got to be able to change trajectories and spins and do all kinds of crazy stuff around the greens. But if I'm if I'm just trying to shoot, you know, in the 70s, generally speaking, I don't have to hit tons of shots in the air with sand wedges. Um, I've got to realize that I'm going to do a better job not giving shots away than I am gaining shots. And so playing that ball low along the ground, level one player, and this is what I've been doing with the ladies, has really, really, really helped them. And now they're telling me, I told my husband, he shouldn't be using the sand wedge from there. He should be hitting his seminar. And he says, what? And it's just these hysterical conversations. So um, Yeah, the problem is that her husband's probably might be a level two golfer, which is when uh, – you know, some proximity start to come into play. So then again, it's just this whole issue of context is like for who and when is this advice applicable? Um, so I think, like you said, if we can just put things into context, so I completely agree with that. I think a level one golfer, your job is to simply get the ball on the green in one shot when your ball is inside 40 yards, whatever decision increases or maximizes the likelihood of that ball finishing on the green that's what I want you to do. And the only way you learn to do that is by going out there and giving yourself different lies, different slopes, deliberate practice, and actually exploring your options as far as, Hey, how do I get this thing on the putting green? Um, but no, I've, I've, I've definitely seen a very similar thing there, Eric. And I would even say that I have them use the skill of putting even with different clubs. So I have them putt with a hybrid. If they have to, I have them putt with, like you said, a, a nine iron, if they have to, um, just cause when the putting stroke itself is such a simple thing to do, I think it's going to reduce those disruptors for our level one golfers so much that it's almost to their advantage to do that. If, like you said, almost if reasonably possible. Um, and then if they can't, I'm a huge fan of them having a mid to high bounce, high lofted club, something like a 58, um, and just play it very square, play it right in the center of their stance. Um, and then just really beat to death the skill of low point control of, can you get the bottom of your golf swing at the appropriate height, um, relative to where the golf ball is. And in general, as long as they don't have a concept of trying to hit down or take a divot or, or trap it or anything like that, if they have a reasonable bottom of the arc and they get the low point height, correct. And they're going to get the ball in the face, the ball's going to go up at a reasonable height to at least stop the ball on any putting surface at that point. It's more a skill of controlling how far is their golf club swinging, how fast is that golf club swinging, again, just to get the darn thing on the putting surface. So it's really just two shots for me for the most part for a level one golfer. It's putt 
with your putter or an assortment of different clubs depending on the situation, or you're going to have this very, very, very basic stock pitch shot with a very high lofted club just to get the ball to stop somewhere on the putting surface. 100, 100% agree with that. Could not agree anymore. Um, so what, you're, what you've taught me here also is that there's this sort of misconception that you know, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna really improve from level one to level two, that kind of that visualization is, you know, somebody that's a it's a bogey golfer is kind of a thing. You know, it's like you're shooting 88s almost, you know, just under bogey golfer maybe. Yep. Um, to going down to someone who shoots much lower than that, that it's that they're much better putters. But would you agree that that is not the case? That is, it is the case that they are putting better, but as a proportion of the shots to green it does not make that much of a difference the the biggest gains that a, a like a someone who's never touched a club before to then getting to that level two is going to be reducing their shots to green that's again getting their drives in play at a reasonable distance somewhere near their um, typical distance i'm not talking about bombing it but just getting the ball on the club face with the driver for the most part and keeping the club face somewhere within um, again, we use um, finger dispersion, so we're going to talk about that. But if um, we've got folks who are familiar with aim point, if you hold up your fingers, you can also use that to project a dispersion. Um, I don't know if I'm actually allowed to share the exact number of fingers and for what levels of golfer, but yeah, we're keeping it somewhere within a boundary off the tee. Um, approach shots, we're getting it somewhere inside 40 yards. If we happen to hit a green, that's great. Um, but then like you said, once you get to, you know, past that level two golfer, that's when the, the putting starts to really kick in and you start to need to convert quite a few more birdie tries. Um, your three putts go down tremendously. So again, the biggest putting jump we see is actually from level two to level three. Um, that's when you're averaging less than 76, basically a plus handicap, but to get from a hundred plus all the way down to 76, the biggest gains you're going to see is just reducing those shots to green. Yeah, I think that's – that's and again, if you picture your club champion versus someone who shoots 100, we can all visualize that, I, I believe. You'd say, well, I mean, the person that shoots 100 could have a have a decent putting day and probably, you know, be Correct. relatively close to that really, really good player. I mean, they're not going to be as good of a putter. I'm not saying that, but – there's a better chance that the hundred shooter is is closer in putting by a million miles than they would be yes. in their ball strike, and everybody would agree with that as you visualize it. So as we're talking about this, and maybe I was just thinking, Rob, maybe one day we'll talk about doing maybe a mini episode on sort of like the 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 laws of ball flight, right? The things that we teach each and every day. One hundred percent. And this would be some some characteristics and some definitions that we'd like to introduce to you, and we'll get, we'll get into some of the weeds of this, but. I I feel like that some clarity again when we get to attention and intention this is probably like a very very big I was piece ready of that. To say that I think that's going to be when we do this. So we'll maybe we'll do a mini episode and introduce this but basically one of the biggest factors now there's basically there's a handful of factors that that make the ball go where it goes. Okay, the ball flight, okay? So that collision with the club and the ball and the ball goes somewhere, right? The most important one, no one will argue this, is centerness of contact. We call centerness of contact, okay? Absolutely. I've got to hit the ball. Re- assuming we're making some reasonable speed, which, 
I think we'd all be intending to do so. We've got to hit the ball solidly. If I'm catching the ball somewhere solidly and I'm controlling what Robbie calls the low point in my swing and I can hit the sweet spot, generally speaking, or I have the right equipment that helps me when I don't, then I can get the ball to probably fly in a way that's not disrupting my game. So I think that as you're talking about shots to green, disruptors, all these things that are affecting us, um, and, and also short game disruptors, solidness of contact. So level one, just to kind of sum up, we've got to make solid contact. Why is it easier to make solid contact on a lower lofted club than a higher lofted club? Two reasons. Visualize this for me. You have a golf club in your hand, I'll show you. Okay. Number one, the lower loft I have, the smaller swing I, I need to make. Everybody knows that, right? So the less power I have to put in the shot, given the same distance. And number two, the leading edge of that seven iron or that putter, when you look at it, is way closer to the sweet spot than it is on the sand wedge, okay? Just put your finger straight up on the leading edge of your sand wedge and look at where the sweet spot is, and you'll say, okay, <laughs> it's going to take some skill for me to manage that sweet spot in a way to hit the face in the sweet spot without, you know, hitting the leading edge in a place where I don't want to hit it. On a seven iron, much easier. On a putter, most easy. And also, mm. I'm making a much smaller swing, and I can hit it way fatter, okay, <laughs> and get away with the shot. I mean, it just is what it is. Yeah. And I had a tour player tell me one day, and they, they said, look, you can watch tour players all day in their short game and go, oh, my gosh, they never miss. And they will tell you to a man they miss. They just miss better than you and I do. Okay. Yes. So that's just that's just the key. So solidness of contact, that centeredness of contact is such a big key um, in level one and then going, obviously, into level two. So now that we've sort of introduced level one, we could probably get through level two pretty quickly here. Rob, what do you think? I definitely agree. Absolutely. So level two golfer, that – we can picture this again. Now that you're getting to that place where you're under bogey golfer and you're pushing scratch golfer, right? So you're you're kind of that range, which again, seems like a big range. And I think that Game Forge would subset this a little bit, but we're going to do it generally here. And if you're more interested, you can always subscribe to their, to their stuff and look at it. Um, but the shots of green are definitely going down from level one and obviously, obviously um, not as good as level three. Putts are getting slightly better. What's the other big keys here, Rob? Yeah, this is where we start to see, again, we're looking at the difference between birdies, bogeys, and doubles. This is where we start to see the bogeys really start to decrease relative to the other thing. So, again, birdies are still not even really in play. Um, double bogeys are still coming down, but now at a shallower rate because, again, level one, we're just getting rid of those disruptors, those penalties. We're just hitting it solid. We're getting from our drives to our approach shots. We're getting from our approach shots to our short game shots. We're getting from our short game shots to the green, um, hopefully with one shot each. So, again, most of that is disruptor avoidance. Um, penalty avoidance, things of that nature. But then once we get past that, right, that's getting rid of the doubles for the most part. Now, once we start to need to decrease bogeys, that's when we start to look at proximities to holes. So um, GameForge uses uh, basically a, an acronym. They just say P6, P12 for short game shots, which would be getting the ball inside 12 feet proximity, get the ball inside 6 feet proximity. Uh, and they have some cool other terms for approach shots as well. So blackjacks would be getting the ball inside eight. In positions would be getting the ball inside 20 feet. 
and then effective greens would be getting the ball inside 40 feet. So again, 40 feet and in, that's when three-putt percentage um, is going to come down quite a bit. Outside 40 feet, that's when three-putt percentage really comes up. So the biggest uh, proximity number I look at for my um, level two golfers is getting the ball inside 40 feet for their approach shots to reduce the number of three putts, and then getting the ball inside 12 feet for their short game shots, which again is going to reduce three putts, number one, but then it's also going to give them the opportunity to make a couple, which is really all we're looking for. We're not a uh, scrambling percentage is still going to be uh, under 30%. So we're, it's not like we're need to get a ton of these up and down, but again, starting to need to throw in a couple up and downs. Uh, and then when we hit the green, cause we're still not hitting that many greens, but when we hit the green, we've got to make sure we're not three putting. Yeah. And so I think that as I look at a level two golfer, a lot of this is probably, I would say, whew, I don't know, more definitely more than half of the of the golfers I teach, right? Would you agree? Probably in that in that range. Definitely. I mean, from scratch to from scratch to to bogey golfer. Yes. Uh, actually, maybe not because because I think bogey golfer and higher is a good amount too. Um, I do teach a fair amount of scratch and better players, which is which is cool. Um, so, like we said before in episode one, we we. We both teach the gamut of players, which is cool. But as I look at level two golfer, I say, okay, level two golfer is for sure going to be controlling their centerness of contact better than level one golfer, for sure. Uh, but once I've gotten to level two, I'm probably pretty competent there. Like I can hit the ball. I'm not topping the ball at times. Yes. Yeah. I'm not, you know, short game's different because you can see people struggle with contact in short game. You know, no matter what level they are. I mean, there's Correct. tour players who struggle with contact in their short game. Um, but just generally speaking from a full swing standpoint, what starts to come more into play here, in my opinion, is more of that face path relationship. So if I am if I am hitting it into a proximity, A, I've got to predict where the ball goes, not just from a distance standpoint. Level one is just trying to cover the distance. I'm not going to hit tons of green, but if I can get it into the, if I cover the right distance without disrupting, get it into the scoring zone, that short game zone, get it on the green, good. This this group, like Rob said, has to hit it to a proximity more often, has to hit it on the green more often. And so, therefore, not only do I have to hit it pretty solidly, I've got to control the curvature of my shot so that I can, you know, predict where the ball is going to land, at least in some predictable manner. And so when I'm looking at this player, that's sort of the hierarchy that I'm building. Um, I have a graphic on this and maybe we'll put up on the Instagram one day, but we're basically building, we're building up from centerness of contact to face path relationship as we go up. And then, then the elite player tour player, as you can visualize has some other, um, considerations that they need to work on just to be able to compete at that high level and shoot those low scores. There's some other things that they have to do better. Um, but is there anything there that you would disagree with Rob with that sentiment? No, not at all. I think it's, it's trying to reduce the dispersion now as much as possible. And again, the most volatile aspect of that dispersion for them, again, level one is going to be serious of strike, but number two is going to be club face for the for the level two golfer and and i i might make it even simpler i just say can you start the ball reasonably within your within your dispersion 
Um, hopefully, if if I'm doing my job from a swing standpoint, uh, from a swing coaching standpoint, hopefully their path doesn't get too crazy, to where as long as the ball is starting reasonably straight, again the the dispersions are going to decrease as you move along level two. So again, it's not the same dispersion. And then as I get closer to level three, as I get to advanced, now I'm starting to really pick up on some curve. Um, control, but yeah, I, I look very, very closely at is the ball generally starting um, within their dispersion, and then another big one is under them understanding their dispersion. How far do their clubs go? Number one, because everyone in level two thinks their golf ball goes further in the air than it really does, and then number three is if you know how far the ball's carrying. Are you picking a target that maximizes the chances that your ball stops on the green? We're trying to reduce our shots to green. So, again, the center of the green never moves people. Like, get the ball on the putting surface. The only time for a level two golfer, though, I would really want you not aiming for the center of the green is if there's a penalty area or somewhere where we're going to have a big number right off the edge of the green. But for the most part, again, all the way up until – I'd say 40 yards. Once you get to 40 yards for a level two golfer, you can start going at some pins. But 40 yards and out, let's get the thing on the darn putting green. I don't know what you think about that, Eric. I totally agree. And I think as you look at um, the other bullet points, which we outlined in episode one, go back and take a listen. You can see how these puzzle pieces start fitting together. So one thing that amazes me um, is that the technology we use you know, the, the golfers have access to, to any way on their own if they can rent it or, or maybe they're a member at a place where they can use things like TrackMan or other launch monitors. The, the stuff that we use in lessons to help them understand how far they hit their clubs or to be properly fit for clubs that carry the proper distance or, you know, have the right land angles or, 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 yeah, or whatnot. Yeah, I that. Yeah, the land angle is important. To optimize sure. their greens and regulation. So when I'm fitting someone for clubs – whether they realize it or not, I am constantly looking at that. And so you can see that from let's go into a lady golfer or a se- maybe it doesn't have to be a lady, but it can be someone with a, with a club head speed on their driver, say under 70 miles an hour, which is going to be, you know, probably a high majority of the lady golfers, senior golfers, junior golfers, right? Um, these they're not going to hit the ball very high, right? They're not going to spin the ball very much, generally speaking. So they've got to have clubs that they understand their carry distances and their rollout distances, what what woods or hybrids or irons or wedges they need to really maximize their ability to get over bunkers and land on a green and whatnot. So I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on this, but you can see how these puzzle pieces start to fit together and the importance of getting that game plan together for who yes. I am and what I need to do. So Correct. <laughs> getting that ball on the green, it's incredible. Like when I get fit for my club, like when I got fit for – I said a few years ago, um, back when I was with PXG when they first came out, my fitting was five hours long, okay? So we went through everything, brand new equipment, whole new company, like everything was different. We had to get all the angles, land angles, right, spin rates, peak heights, everything was worked out because I know as a, you know, as a level three player, I've got to get that ball on the green with certain clubs to certain proximities, and they've all got to work for me. And I had to figure out this whole new line of clubs. Like I was with another mm. company for 15 years, and I knew what that those clubs did, right? But that company was new, so I had to go through all of that. So TrackMan is such a powerful tool, and that's why I go back to the idea that golfers aren't getting 
better? Like, how is that possible when you can go in and get a lesson or work with, you know, work at a, at a facility where you can hit on your own in some of these places and you can gain such an understanding for how your ball travels and where it goes. How can that not be the most powerful tool in the world to start learning how to hit the ball on the green more often? And then you bring up the, the, the art of dispersion tracking. Well, again, how would you ever know that without TrackMan? But there's ways that you can look at that and figure that out so simply in a good golf Thanks, lesson. Thanks, Mark Sweeney. <laughs> thanks, Mark Sweeney. So, like, in my club fittings and in my lessons, again, thanks, thanks um, also to, to Decade Golf. I mean, like, these are the ideas that, that really facilitate as we go from level two to level three player, like the track man is so good for this. And again, I'm a track man guy. I'm sure foresight's plenty good for this as well, but absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm doing this in every single lesson. Like we're looking at dispersion. We're not looking at it. It's not a single bullet theory in golf. Okay. You are going to hit, it's more of a shotgun pattern. We all know this. And when we start to understand it, and Rob says, aim at the middle of the green, well, that's because he's planted on the ball going kind of all over the place, right? So yeah. as you, as you, now, you know, as you start to understand. It's under- comical how big these, like, Ping had a had an awesome graphic, um, I think a couple of weeks ago, where they just showed the difference in dispersion from a, from a, I think a plus handicap to a, exactly what we're talking about. It was like a tour player, then a plus handicap, and then like a 10 handicap. It was incredible how the dispersion just absolutely blew up for the 10 handicap. The ball's going everywhere. Oh, right? yeah. So number one, accept, accept that. Accept the fact that you're a 10 handicap and the ball's going to go everywhere. Okay, are we going to be a 10 handicap forever? No. But to get to that next level, we got to understand how to make the most of what we got, which is how do we get the most number of uh, shotgun pellets on yep. the freaking putting green that we can? Is that as big as those dispersion patterns are, 95 percent of the time it's the center of the green yep or sometimes sometimes over the green you know depending on how high you hit and this is again where you got to get with your coach and try to figure this out there are certain shots at 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 the country club of virginia which you're familiar very familiar with these golf courses rob because you worked there for a little while yeah the there's on our tuckahoe creek course there's three greens where you've got to carry it over. I mean, you have no choice. There's no around. I've got to go over a water on a par four to a green. Yes. And where they should be aiming for a lot of players that are hitting a hybrid or a wood into those holes is over the green. Correct. Okay? So that's how you've got to look at it because I've got to eliminate the penalty shot, right? And I've, yep. got to, I've got to just take my chances from the back of the green, and maybe I miss hit it and it ends up on the green. But, you know... You've got to understand where you're aiming and what you're doing based on the equipment that you have and how you swing the ball, swing the club. So um, I think that for level two, that's a pretty good synopsis. I think that obviously we're, we're going to be three putting less. The short game is yeah, skill. So, is, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I didn't want to completely glaze over putting, but I think it's important that we understand what sections in putting are the most important for a level two golfer. Again, for level one, it's again it's in level two it's not gonna be that much different but in general it's going to be the lag putting getting the ball somewhere within 10 percent of our original distance so again if we're 30 feet i want you somewhere three feet and in um, after that lag putt and then cleaning up those again those inside six feet putts that we're going to have after our lag putt because <laughs> again we're trying to reduce doubles we're trying to reduce bogeys that's what matters really if you look from 
six to 20 feet. It just doesn't matter. I, and when I watch people go on the putting green, Eric, that's literally the, the only range that they practice. It's unbelievable. Is that six, yeah. is that six to 20 range where mm-hmm. they might have, uh, let's hold on. I can actually show you. Um, so while he's have, looking this they up, they might have, yeah, ahead. they might have four, three, three to four of those <laughs> for birdie and around. Yeah, but how much? Maybe. And how many are they going to make? So here's the thing: like, as it's long as they don't three putt them, which less from, than twenty percent, correct. So you're looking at six to twenty feet. The, the the basically what we're saying is the the effect on scoring there with your putting is just not that big because because the, the no. variance on a good day and a bad day is just not going to be that big. And one of the stats that blows people's mind that I saw, I think this is a loose Stagner stat, but I just want to point that out, is that tour players on average, so average tour player, so picture that. This is not the people you're watching that are winning the tournament. This is the average tour player on average makes one putt per round longer than 13 feet. <laughs> Okay, and it's like one putt per tournament over 30 feet. I mean, it's unbelievable. We just don't make lots of putts there, right? So, but also, I would think that most players that shoot 80, you know, somewhere in the 76 to 80, they don't three putt a lot from 20 feet to six feet either. They're two putting a very high predominance of the time. So the effect on scoring there is just not that big. So to your point, work on six feet and in and then work on your lag putting, right? Um, and then, and then uh, around the green, we'll just summarize this pretty quickly. Like you were saying, it's proximity based at this point. You can't have disruptors. Like if you're going to be on a level three player, you've got to eliminate missing the green from inside of 40 yards. You just can't, you just can't do it. You should, I mean, that's my, I don't know if the data exactly bears that out, but no, definitely. Do we want to talk real quick? Cause we hammered short game pretty hard on level one. Do we just want to talk about level two short game considerations? Cause we talked about, let's do it. um, Yeah. Driving, driving again is is again staring us a strike face control getting it as far down there as possible that's pretty much all three levels it's not going to really change that much um approach shots with level two is going to be a little bit different um you're still just trying to hit the green um while avoiding penalty areas but then short game you go from your only goal of just getting it on the green to then all right now can we start to get these inside 12 feet which is really the big one that we want to get. So what skills do we need to add to our arsenal um, to start to get more of these inside 12 feet? Yeah. So definitely going to be changing trajectories more here, correct? Yeah. Yeah, So you're going to have to start managing, you're going to have to start managing spin and trajectory control much, much better um, in this level, especially if you're going to push through to level three, for sure. Yeah. For a 12-foot circle, if you think about it, like, and I, I recommend every every golfer read their putts, read their chips. Um, it doesn't matter because the the lateral dispersion is definitely going to be in play as well. But for twelve foot circle around the hole, it's mostly a distance control kind of thing. Like, can you control how far your ball lands, and then can you generally have a couple different trajectories that creates different rollouts from where that ball lands? Um, if you can do that, then you're going to be um, getting plenty inside twelve feet. Yeah. And I don't think still you have to have some phenomenal toolbox when it comes to no. to this part of the game. I think you I think you really need to be able to control you know a chip that's low and running um hitting that solid every single time and then being able to 
you know, use that sandwich, that higher lofted club, like you were talking about, and control the spin and trajectory on yeah, it. Yeah, it's but, probably it's probably the maybe the same. I mean, you might have another shot, but it's probably just bet. You're just doing it better. You're just doing it more bit. consistently, and you're probably spinning it more because you have better contact, right? Right. So yeah. I think this is where you start to see players who who definitely put a lot of check on some of those shots. They're a little bit easier to control that way with the spin. Um, yeah. And they're landing it on the green with that first bounce, probably a much higher percentage of the time. Whereas oh, in pitching, le- yeah, most mm-hmm. definitely. When the, in, in level one, that shot in the short game is not, I would say, a much lower percentage of the time. In, in fact, I'm coaching them up to have that ball either bouncing onto the green or, or rolling onto the green. Mm-hmm. So... Having having um, spin on the shot just isn't there. But when you watch a really proficient player, they can really spin the ball um, in their short game, especially as you go into into level three. Yeah, that's kind of what I was going to say. If we want to go ahead and and jump to level three now, let's, um, let's do this real quick. Let's take mm-hmm. a uh, let's just take a quick break, and then we'll come back with level three. And I want to leave you on this little thought as we go to break. Um, from what from what Rob's taught me and how I've sort of digested this, I want to go back to the level one beginner golfer and tell you about how we teach putting now, which is I essentially teach them not really to read the greens anymore. Um, all we work on 100% of the time is distance control. And so we use, we use um, alignment rods on the green, and I have them practice putting you know, from varying distances and trying to get the ball to roll up to their alignment rod in some varying way, shape, or form, not even worried about the hole. Because when you put this into context um, on that level of player, what is the likelihood, A, that they can read a green appropriately, B, get themselves lined up in a way that's going to start their ball on the on the line that they just read. And then C, swing it and hit it on, in a way that actually gets the ball rolling and then controlling the distance. It's a very low percentage of the time. So if we start to try to confuse that player less and say, hey, don't really worry about what you're aimed. If you don't see a big swale on that green one way or another, just play the ball straight all the time. We're going to learn to hit it with really, really good speed. That's a level one skill, okay? We're going to focus on that first. If you do that, you will greatly reduce your three putts, right? Rob told me one time, if you just don't guess the wrong way on a putt and hit it with the right speed, you're probably going to two putt it most of the yeah, time. That's, I tell my level one golfers is that <laughs> it's kind of funny. Uh, unless it's straight, you're not going to hit it straight. But if <laughs> <laughs> we can have this discussion later, but you have to start the ball generally on the correct side of the hill. And the reason for that, Eric, is because statistically, if we, when you look at the geometry of this, if the ball stop, if the ball starts low mm-hmm. of the hole, you will three to four times exacerbate the miss yeah so let's say however much it would stop low on a on a one percent yeah it times it by three to four however much it would stop low on a two percent times that by three to four correct much it would stop low on a four percent times that by three or four it correct low a low start line will magnify your proximity to the whole three to four times yeah so the only thing a level one golfer needs to worry about is getting the ball started somewhere high of the hole it doesn't matter but as long as the ball doesn't start low then their three putt percentage is going to drop like a rock so i think what you're visualizing what you're explaining there which is this is perfect right because we're not disagreeing on this at all what i'm saying is as you're progressing through level one okay 
Your ability to aim and start the ball anywhere, read it, aim, and start it, and hit it well enough to start it on a line that you think are not, it's not happening, okay? Not mm-hmm. consistently. So you need to develop that skill that you're giving them, right? You need to develop an ability to just guess which way it's going to break and then be able to start it on that side of the hole. That's going to get you to level, you know, through the lower ends of level one and into level two and start minimizing some of those, yeah. some of the three putts. But if I get over there and I'm trying to read a putt, this is what I've seen from the psychology of it, right? So we're talking about science versus the actual psychology of playing mm-hmm. is if I get over it and I'm not sure where that ball's going, like I'm trying to read it. And then I'm like, does it go left? Does it go right? I don't know. I asked my partner. They can't tell me. My mm-hmm. husband says one thing. I see another. I get yeah. over the ball. Now I can't, you know what I mean? Like I just got no ability to hit that shot. Right. So I think yeah. what I'm trying to say is let's simplify things one at a time. Let's accomplish this ability just to control the speed of your putt, right? If you see a big slope, it's probably big oh, enough that you need to pay attention to it, right? Other than that, it's probably pretty level let's just play it pretty straight and then what you're saying is those are the skills you need to develop through level one and that's going to get you into level two so that's a really good video i kind of wanted to go back to that to give them like a visual on improvement like how we would coach that up and i think that played out perfectly so we're going to take a quick break we're going to come back and we're going to nail level three which is what either you are or you're aspiring to be or you should be aspiring to be because that's where the magic happens in this game level three golfer we'll be right back Welcome back. This is uh, the Golf Intervention Podcast, and we're talking today about creating a game plan for improvement. So what we've done so far is we're kind of telling you the what. We're kind of telling you uh, what it is, kind of a picture of your game, of your skills, how you control the ball um, through different levels of play. That's what we've been focusing on. We've gone from level one to level two. Now we're getting to that level three, which to me is aspirational, right? This is where we all sort of have this belief, hopefully. And if you don't believe in yourself, I want you to start to believe in yourself. Level three golfers, this is where you're a scratch to plus golfer all the way through. Tour player, all the way towards number one in the world. Right now, Scotty Scheffler. And what's cool is you can look at Scotty Scheffler's stats and you can kind of see what he does as well. So as we talk about the visual of this level player again picture picture the hundred shooter then picture that sort of 15 14 handicapper down into a low one single digit now we're at that next level and so if you've ever been a if you're a five handicap and you've ever played with a tour player or like a plus one or two handicap um it's a pretty interesting experience and i know i was there at one point in my life as well as i was working my way up through these levels and i think the stark contract contrast to me is just the ability to control the shot time after time after time so give us a good idea here rob what's going on with this level three golfer yeah so this is where stuff starts to really really change so if if you look at the differential between how many double bogeys they make how many bogeys they make how many birdies they make there is a there's a point at which the birdies start to really kick in um, so again, through level one, level two, birdies aren't really much in play. At most, you're going to make about two. But then once you get into that plus handicap range, now your birdies really start to hike. So again, not only are the birdies starting to hike, but the bogeys are coming down almost at the same rate as they were during level two. So think about that. You're still cutting bogeys like crazy. Mm-hmm. But then on top of that, you're throwing in birdies. So these guys are 
getting so much better, and that's why it's so difficult. I think a lot of times we've seen um, player feedback is like, oh, it was so much easier to get from 100 to 88. And it's even easier to get to 88 to you know 76, but gosh, to get from 76 to 72 is a nightmare. Mm-hmm. And it's true because it's really, you have to do everything so much better. And the big one, Eric, that we're going to see is the putting. That's where these guys really start to, to separate themselves. Shots, shots to green go down for sure. So we get fewer shots to green. Um, total putts go down just a little bit. Um, but the only reason why the putts don't go down that much is because we're hitting two, entirely two more greens when we go from um, level two to level three. Um, but this is where we start to convert more of those six to 20-foot putts. Three putts go down tremendously um, in our conversion rate again inside six feet um, is up over 75 percent so yeah it's about 75 or higher um, which is pretty darn good putting yeah. I don't know about you but oh, yeah. <laughs> these guys are putting well yeah no question about it and you can even see just from a tour level when you're watching players who are playing really well they're making lots of putts and so you you tend to get this visual that oh man tour players make everything and they do they make a lot of i mean compared to of other levels of player. They're very high skill and making putts. But also, when you're watching them on TV, it's likely because they're winning that week. So again, the, a big variable there is when they putt well, they tend to they tend to win. I think we just Correct. saw that with Brian Harmon. Um, what an interesting oh my gosh. yeah, what an interesting week that was. And he just made he just made a lot of putts, right? I saw this actually. Um, I I did see a preview for the for the Open Championship where some. Uh, European YouTuber, you know, they, they set him up to play the course and then kind of talk about the course. And they did a prediction, sort of a trend analysis as to who they thought would win. And they came down to two names on their trend analysis. I thought it was so interesting. So the winner of the Scottish Open the previous week and obviously the best player in the world, Roy McIlroy, was, was their first pick. And number two pick was Brian Harmon. So how interesting wow. is that? But But their point was... I think that the golf course suited him from a ball striking standpoint where he could, you know, he could compete, you know, with driver where some other guys were hitting irons and whatnot, which was great. But those types of greens where you need to make putts in that range that we're talking about, he's just really good at that. Right. So, and he had been playing well and putting well and going in. And so he was their pick. And I thought that was really interesting. So, um, Putting is such a big, such a big deal here. And then you also realize that when you see good players that are sort of teetering back and forth on this level from probably somewhere around just over a scratch player to under a scratch player on the recreational side, that putting tends to be the thing that they sort of go back and forth on. Wouldn't you agree with that? 100%. Their ball striking doesn't tend to fluctuate nearly as much as their putting does. It's hard to make putts. I mean, I say that all the time. There's so many variables in putting that you have to be good at, and you have to be so confident and keen, keenly tuned in to your, how you're putting um, that you just, you know, you know, putting can be very variable, whereas, you know, the swing day-to-day tends to not seem to, you know, on this level of player change dramatically unless there's some type of injury or some other extenuating standard, circumstance. Correct. And the other big... Uh, jump that we see is actually in the scrambling percentage. So not only are they converting more, but they're scrambling at a much higher rate. And so I think, again, just talking about those skills, really the, the, the same skills that are getting these 
players to make more putts are very similar to the same skills that actually get them to stop the ball uh, within six feet quite a bit more often uh, when they're around the green. So those two skills I like to think kind of go hand in hand. If, if you're good at stopping the ball inside six feet when you're off the green, you're probably not going to be uh, too bad at making those six to 20 footers when you're on the green. So we'll, we'll talk about how those two types of uh, kind of skills within skills kind of relate to each other. Um, but again, yeah, just looking at ball striking, they, they hit a lot of greens. They hit 12 to 13 greens. Um, so they're, they're definitely hitting the ball in play. Very, very few, if any, um, disruptors or penalties. Yeah, they just do everything better. So as we're talking about that sort of um, building our way up the up the pyramid of performance that I was talking about before, is that we you know we went from trying to make really solid contact and that was helping us, and then we needed to control the dispersion through really face mainly and face path relationship, that dispersion, that curvature, and as we get to this level of player, um, it's a it's a lot about speed. Would you agree mm-hmm. with that? I mean. It, if you're going to hit the ball on the green more often, you've got to hit it high. You know, a lot of times you're having much shorter clubs yes. coming into the green. Um, and so one thing that was pretty interesting to me is I played with um, in, a, in a scramble format with our ladies group a few weeks ago, which is always really, really fun. Um, I've always felt like, though, Rob, you tell me if you agree with me or not. It's interesting to me that men get to move up tee boxes maybe five or six times throughout their career, but ladies play the forward tee like forever, right? Right. I I feel like we're going to start seeing, you know, senior ladies tee boxes. Some of those types of things are going to start happening. I couldn't agree more. Um, Because getting the ball on the green is very, very difficult. So I played with this group of ladies. One of them was very, very good. She's a sweet lady. Um, And she hit the ball great the entire day, great the entire day, but couldn't quite always get to the green, you know, like most of the time, mm. just not to the green. And so, wow. yeah. and when she got there, the ball was coming in with, with a lower trajectory, right? Hitting a hybrid or a wood in there. And so what happens? Well, I, I bring the front bunkers into play a lot because I've got to land the ball on the front of the green to try to get it to stop on the green. So when we talk about hitting it on the shots to green going down, obviously more greens in regulation. Speed is is absolutely an element of skill here that is vastly important. I've got to be able to hit the ball from the tee box that I'm playing a good distance so that I can get the ball up in the air and stop it on the green with the club that I have in my hand. It seems like a pretty straightforward thing, but I'm probably already making really good contact and controlling the flight of the ball and the dispersion at this point. That's now, right, yeah, exactly. yeah, now I've got to hit. And again, going back to our other bullet points, um, this is where you really start to see some gains from the body swing connection, some of the training that you're going to do there, and also club fitting. Again, I go back to equipment, the ball that I play, the clubs that I play. Am I got the right driver shaft and loft so I can maximize my distance? Do I have the right iron configuration along with hybrid and fairway wood? I mean, I cannot tell you how many six hybrids and seven woods and nine woods I put in people's bags these days mm-hmm. to get them to be able to get the ball over front bunkers and stop the ball on greens. Um, and like I was saying before, we have a lot of greens that have water in front where you've got to get the ball up and over things and stop them. So anyway, just kind of uh, as a side note, they're talking about those skills that build as we go up through um, the coaching sort of hierarchy there, um, solidness of contact face path relationship then we get into some of those higher level skills like really getting with some speed correct so well, again when we're talking about 
And I think Eric, you did a great job of, of, of outlining that. So we're T balls again. It's just how far can we hit it down there and find it um, and have a clear pass to the green. Again, that's just, again, these, these guys are going to throw in a couple more fairways because again, now the fairway allows them to control launch, allows them to control spin much more predictably to then when we look at approach shots, really that 20 foot circle. How many of these approach shots can we get inside 20 feet? Um, those are going to be our really our, our birdie opportunities. So what skills would allow us to get the ball inside 20 feet? Well, now, again, our dispersion is going to be smaller. So we're going to be taking a little bit more aggressive targets. We're not going to be just aiming at the middle of every green. Again, if you're, if you're looking at the size of these dispersions for elite players, getting quite a bit smaller, that allows us to then shoot at some pins. And generally speaking, because these birdies hike up so much, these guys are aiming at the pin unless there's a penalty area or some sort of area where they can't get the ball up and down at. And that's going to be, for the most part, again, inside about 170 yards. Um, once they get outside of 170, then they start to get a little bit more conservative, um, aiming closer to the middle of the greens, but just because they're not going to hit it inside 20 that often from, from 180. So I think, again, for elite players and door players, there's two different sort of buckets of approach shots. You're going to have those inside 170 and kind of outside 170 are a little bit different. Um, but yeah, for the most part, we're trying to get the ball in the fairway if we can, because we need to stop the ball pretty close to where it pitches um, because we're going to be again, aiming closer to the flags and then starting to think about again, other compounding skills is that we have to be able to read wind at this point in the game, because we're aiming closer to flags, we have to know what the wind's doing really to the, I'm not going to say to the, to the single mile per hour, but I like to put it in terms of, you know, if you can get within five miles per hour, plus or minus, you're going to be in pretty decent shape. So I like for these players to be able to read their, what's 10 miles per hour, what's 20 miles per hour. Cause those are going to be most of, you know, obviously if you're playing in anything more than 20, then, then what are we doing? Um, but, um, but can you identify a 10 mile per hour wind? And in the direction it's coming, that'll give you, generally speaking, how much you need to add or subtract. Um, and then things like reading the lie, what's it going to do off of this particular slope, uphill, downhill, as far as um, changing launch. And then ball above the feet, below the feet, what's that going to do to our launch angle? Um, and then finally, so we've touched on wind, we've touched on lie. Um, uphill downhill is the green above us or below us and then how much are we adding or subtracting from our distance um, to account for that these are all things that go into creating a shot that our level three golfers are really going to want to be in tune with um, level two once you get close to level three you're going to want to definitely be in touch with some of these things but really really important once you get um, 76 and less is that you're reading the wind you're reading the lie you're reading the slope um, you're choosing as aggressive of a target as you can without bringing any sort of penalties or hazards into play. All right. So looking at level three for short game, again, the game changes dramatically when we go from level two to level three, Eric. Yes. Level three, these guys are absolutely ridiculous with their short game skills. Um, and, and as you look at someone that shoots 76 versus tour player, I mean, obviously there's, there's levels to that as well. Um, but really just being able to control all types of trajectories and spins and landing areas and distance control, um, 
around the green, especially as you get into tour players, just absolutely phenomenal amounts of skill. Right. So the, the big proximity bucket that we're looking at here is going to be what GameForge calls P6, which is your ability to get the ball inside of six feet. Now, when you look at your scrambling percentage, it follows really, really, really closely with your P6s, which means essentially your ability to get the ball inside six feet when you're off the green equals your ability to scramble and get up and down. Obviously, if you're getting the ball inside 12 feet all the time as a level two player, you're going to be throwing in some some made putts there. So you're gonna your scrambling percentage isn't going to be zero if you never hit inside six feet. But if you really want to get that scrambling percentage, again, for these guys, it gets up close to 50. Um, tour player actually gets higher than 50. It's really getting the ball inside six feet more often. So what does that look like? Well, number one, your ability to not only land the ball where you want has to be very precise. Um, we talked about that in level two as far as being the primary skill of just simply landing the ball where you want. But now landing the ball where you want combined with the ball speed, the landing angle, and the spin to get the ball to stop generally the distance that you want. Again, I shouldn't say generally, specifically where you want within six feet uh, from a distance control standpoint uh, becomes the, the three main big ones. And then not only is our ability to land the ball generally in the right area with the correct ball speed, land angle, and spin, but then we also have to start really reading the green and getting the ball launching at the correct direction relative to the shot that we're playing. Um, like we said in level two, and honestly for level one putting as well, if the ball starts high of the quote-unquote optimal um, start line, your error is actually reduced. So if you start the ball a foot high, it'll usually stop about half of a foot high of the hole. Whereas if you start the ball one foot low, it'll usually stop four to five feet low of the hole. So it's a big, big, big penalty for starting the ball too, too low down the hill, which anecdotally, it makes sense. When you watch tour, tour pros pitch and chip, I see it all the time. You'll see the ball launch, and you're like, where on earth are they pitching to? But then it's, it hits, it takes a couple bounces, maybe skids, and the thing rolls down the hill, and it's only getting to the hole at you know pretty close to its last couple of rotations. So, again, they're not leaving the ball low of the hole, um, or I should say they're not starting the ball low of their intended start line. Um, very often, if, if ever, if anything, they're erring on the high side. And then I see some pushback from my level one, level two golfers when I have them I say, hey, just make sure you start it on the high side. They'll say, well, don't I want a uh, an uphill putt coming back? And that's where we laugh and just say, listen, this is a proximity game. You know, if you're, if you're three feet downhill versus four feet uphill, your three-footer downhill is going to have a higher make percentage. I don't care. You know, there's there's only a couple very, very, very special circumstances where you're not going to want to just simply get the ball closer to the hole. I don't ever – I mean, I, I feel like I make way more putts on the downhill side than I do on the uphill sure, side. Sure, yeah. So I don't think that – it's one of those old old adages, I think, that that just really doesn't – just doesn't really play out now that we keep data. Correct? Like, I mean, I think Correct. It's, the closer you are to the hole – I mean, really, when you're looking at when you're looking at a hole, it's going to be on a certain slope around the hole. So, given that hole, the closer you are, the easier the putt is. I, yes. I don't think there's any real question about that. And I know there was some stuff over time, like 
you know, hit it under the hood. Some Dave Pell stuff, which I think, you know, you look at Dave Pell's, I mean, he did some interesting research back in the day, but it's kind of like saying you should putt everything 14 inches past the hole. Well, no one can do that. Tour players can't do that. You can't control it that well. So right. what you're what you're trying to do in your lag putting, again, is not hit it 14 inches past. You're trying to get the proximity to the hole within 10%, like you were saying, give or take, right or left, like get it close to the hole. So... Yeah, yep. that that adage of trying to to try to leave an uphill putt just sort of I think that's one of those ones that we can file away as um you know, just one of those old time things we used to say. Correct. And then again, we can this would actually be I think an interesting discussion as far as um so we we've talked about understanding uh the the precision at which they carry the ball a certain distance, but then when we talk about and as well as reading the reading the chip as well. But then when we talk about controlling the land angle, the ball speed, and the spin, that's where the strategies might change a little bit. So I think Eric and I are, are big proponents of folks using different clubs when they're around the green. Use a putter, use a hybrid. If you have to, use a 7-iron, 9-iron, what have you, for a level 1 golfer. Level 2 options might dwindle a little bit, but still not that far far apart from a level 1 because you're just trying to get the ball inside 12 feet. But for a level three golfer, I don't know what you see, Eric. I see these guys being incredibly one-dimensional in terms of their club selection, but incredibly versatile in terms of how they use that club because they want that ball speed being incredibly, incredibly predictable. And if they can do a bunch of different things with one club, now they're, again, their predictability, their adaptability, um, just goes through the roof so they start to know exactly what this one club's going to do under different grass conditions different lie conditions um different slopes different you know all sorts of things what, what do you think about that i 100 percent agree and, it, and it's the same for my short game personally as well and if i maybe one day we'll do an episode called like things i used to teach or something or like yes. things i've learned over time is in in my mind and i think you, you go back to some of the bigger name short game instructors and they would say things like hey you know you should use a 58 or 60 degree all your shots around the green da, 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 da. and i think okay that's good teaching? like <laughs> right teaching door right. players and it oh <laughs> no 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 ma'am like think about it ma'am like if you learn one club, that's way easier than learning four clubs. And that's right. not not true at all because it goes back to what we said about the level one golfer and contact, right? Is I just got to be able to make good contact with the ball. And it's way harder to do. It requires more skill to be consistent with it with a higher lofted club. But once you have that skill, you can now, like you said, control the ball way more consistently with that one club and that's what you see you know out of not all tour players but a lot of tour players and i think tour coaches would would agree we hear them talking about it like hey no my man grabs his 60 and plays all those shots 100%. (laughs) that's that's what they do yeah i've seen some you know i think james ridyard did did one of the best uh uh, demonstrations on this where he he breaks it into steep and shallow and ad loft and de loft so it gives you basically like a four shot at least a four shot matrix to be able to use with that one club so you have shallow ad loft shallow de loft steep de loft steep ad loft and you just apply that for all sorts of these different lives and slopes and situations and i saw him hit like the nastiest like low runner with a 60 that i may have ever seen like this thing came out like a seven iron hmm. with his 60 degree wedge i'm like what on earth is going on and then he t- 
takes the very next ball, goes to the very opposite end of the spectrum and hits the highest, softest landing thing I've ever seen with the exact same club. Yeah. And that's what these tour guys are doing. They are, they're just seeing the shot they want to hit. They're seeing the loft. They're seeing the spin. Um, they're seeing the direction they want to launch. They're grabbing that same club and they're adapting to the lie to create that shot in their minds. And, and they're pretty darn good at producing that shot. And like it goes back to saying before, to be really good at golf requires lots of skill, right? So, yes. you know, like if you, if you get good at shooting a basketball, the, the, the technique and the mechanism for shooting a basketball is not very complex. It's not. And so as long, as long as you learn to do that right now, you put your time in, you practice, and that mechanism doesn't really change, right? Like I bend my knees a certain way and I have my hands on the ball a certain way and there's a timing to the, sort of to the sequence and whatnot, and my elbow in a certain position. And then I try to repeat and repeat and repeat and then vary the distance. And so when you get really, really good at the mechanism, I think you can, you can create that ability to be a Steph Curry of your 60-degree wedge, so to speak. Like – you know, you 100%. have th- that. That's where skill comes into play. But like, if you don't have all that skill, you're not going to stand there and hit three pointers all day long. Like, you, you know, you're going to do some, right. something else. So I think that's kind of where that that goes. And it's okay to say if you don't have that skill, you can't. You shouldn't do it. Don't don't <laughs> don't do you're it. Right. Just be, have the self awareness um, of what you do and how you do it, and and then work towards in your practice and in your skill development being able to do it and then to, yep. you know, hopefully take it to the next level. And then at some point you've got to understand if you're developing these skills in practice, you've got to do it when it quote unquote matters. Right. So if, like I said, you're like Eric said, you're spending time in your practice developing these shots, but understand that for you to really learn that shot and that we're going to get more into this kind of stuff, but you have to do it in context. So it, it, it's great to practice these shots, but if you don't give it a go, when it actually matters, you're never going to learn it. So, so keep that in mind. I, I just wanted to add a little, uh, little learning nugget there. Awesome. And then, anything else you want to add for short game before we go into putting? Um, no, I don't think so. I think that that covers it for sure. I mean, we didn't really specifically talk about bunker shots, but I mean, oh, I th- yeah, let's do that. I think I think bunker shots are. It's again, it's the same idea, right? Like I, I've got Correct. to be able to control. <laughs> it's not different. It's just I got to do it from a different condition. Correct. Again, level one players, let's get it out. I have people putt out of the bunkers if they find a uh, if they find like a low point around the bunker somewhere, um, <laughs> to just literally putt the ball out of the bunker. I do it all the time for level one players, and it's yeah. awesome. They it's get okay. Better. It's okay, people. Putt it. Work, work on your bunker shot when you can't putt it, but if you can putt it, putt it. <laughs> you take a hybrid and just roll it out of the bunker. If Whack you can. it. Um, <laughs> um, level two. Again, P12s. We need to land the ball, generally speaking, where we're trying to. Uh, and then we need to have a couple different shots. We need to have that low shot. We need to have that high shot um, to, generally speaking, get it where we want. For a level two, I would mostly recommend them just use different clubs. Hey, let's do let's do one bunker shot with a 54 or 58, and let's have another one that releases maybe a gap wedge or a pitching wedge. Um, whereas now when we go to less than 76, Again, now it's P6s. So what does that mean? We're reading our bunker shots. You heard me say it. The best players in the world, they read 
They're bunker shots. They're I reading re- what the ball's going to do. I never forget. Ball- never forget. Watch. Sorry to interrupt. Watching Raymond Floyd read a bunker shot when I was probably ten years old. Watching. I mean, Ray Floyd was unbelievable out of the yes. bunker. And I remember him. And I remember the commentator, whoever it was, like make it a big deal. Like, hey, you know what? Ray Floyd's reading this like a putt. You know, it was like what? 100%. Like, come on! But that skill, people, skill, man. Yeah, he knows he's got to get this thing inside six feet. Yeah. So how's he going to do it? Yep. Um, not only there are they reading what the ball's going to do after it hits the surface, they're reading the surface the ball's on. So they're reading the the depth of the sand, the texture of it. Is it fast? Is it slow sand? Um, they're reading the the slope that the ball's sitting on. Is it on down slope level? Is it up slope? Ball above the feet, below the feet, and they're making all these little adjustments based off of the read. I mean, there's there's so much to creating a shot for a level three golfer that happens before they ever swing a club. I would venture to guess that a lot of the improvements that you're going to make with a level three golfer are exactly those are exactly the things that happen before they ever swing a club because they wouldn't be a level three golfer if they didn't learn to swing the club pretty darn good in the first place. Right. Right. So moving on to putting, if we don't have anything else to add. No, I love bunkers. Now it's time for putting. These guys are good. These guys (laughs) are really good. So again, all the same things apply. They just do it better. Um, they, they three putt, they don't three putt. They really, they convert their short putts at an extremely high rate. But again, these birdies are kicking in, which means that they're going to be converting more of those six to 20 foot putts. So when we're talking about making putts, what goes into that? Well, shameless plug. I'm an aim point certified instructor. Um, again, game fortune aim point. They, they kind of work uh, side by side. So, if you're, again, I think Aimpoint helps every level golfer, to be honest, but um, especially if you need to make a bunch more putts, your reads have got to be tight. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got to be really, really good. So understanding how to quantify slope and the amount of slope across the, the, the time of the putt that really matters, I think is going to be number one. Um, accurately controlling the speed of the ball along that path is going to be the far and away the biggest contributor to whether a particular putt goes in or not. Um, and again, for level one and two, the distance control is mostly about proximity, just getting the ball as close to the hole as possible. Whereas once you jump to level three, your distance control is actually more matching line and speed. So for a certain start line, a speed is going to complement that in order to give it a chance to go in. So you have to have things in your training that get you to work on actually matching line and speed. Um, if you're not doing that, then you're taking your ability to make putts and, and you're reducing it greatly. Right. And that's the, the again, you've got to hit it solid. You've got to control. There's, there's contributing factors in that as far as repeatability of a putting stroke, the repeatability of the role that you're putting on it, um, yep. how you – how you control the rise angle and the centerness of contact. I mean, all this stuff plays into when you have to make putts. These things have to be really, really good. And yeah, it's, it's, not, um, it's not something that can be a little off. No, not at all. I would say it, if, you're, if you're between 72 and 76, your f- club face deviation needs to be within a degree. Um, so if you think about how big a degree is, it's not a lot. So if I had someone on like track band or sand putt lab, if they hit 20 putts, um, 
I would want to see 19 of as an elite player. I'd want to see 19 within a degree, um, right or left. And wow. then once you get to the tour player, it becomes a half degree. They have to be able to control start line basically within a half degree plus or minus of the of their intended start line to really maximize it and, and get good at at making those six to twenty footers because you're not just it's not just a club face control game, right? You have to control the face, but that face is also relative to a read mm-hmm. that has to be functional within about a degree. So when you add those two things together. Is your read within a degree? Is your face within a degree? Now these tolerances become incredibly, incredibly tight. When you talk about context, this is what's this is what's so interesting, is that we will we will as golfers look for info. We'll go listen to, you know, Phil Mickelson talk about his short game, okay, or we'll watch Tiger Woods talk about his full swing stuff. That stuff is irrelevant to almost everybody that plays this game. They're on a different planet. They're on a different planet. And I watched Phil. This is so uh, we host we host a Champions Tour playoff event at the Country Club where I work, right? So I've I've run the practice facility for that for 7 years. I've watched Hall of Fame golfers prepare for a playoff event on their biggest tour. It's to them at that point their biggest event of the year. And I watch them go through this. What are they working? They're working on trying to make putts inside of 20 feet. They're working on, you know, they won't work a ton on short. I will tell you this. They don't practice short game as much as you think they would. And I think that's because they're already really darn good at it, right? So then they spend the predominance of their time on their full swing, and they're trying to control their shots. They're working with their equipment manufacturers. They're working with their PTs. If they're not feeling well, they have coaches on site like, they have track man there. They're working on trying to hit that ball close to the hole because they know they have to to make birdies. So I watched Phil on, on number eight on James River. You remember that hole Rob, straight up the hill, yes. par three? It's yep. really tough. It's hard to see the green. From the, from the tee they play, it was like two, probably 215 straight up the hill. Now, Phil played absolutely horrible that week, and he was not hitting the ball anywhere near planet Earth. He had won the year before, and this year he was just not playing well at all. And I watched him. I happened to walk out <clears throat> and watch a few holes. And he gets to number eight, and he's standing there. And he's a lefty, obviously, playing to a back right pin over a bunker. You can kind of visualize that on that hole, right? Yes. And he stopped there and talked to his brother, his caddy, for at least five minutes about the shape of the draw he was going to play into that back right hole location. Yep. <laughs> and I'm standing there going, like, are you kidding? Like, what is he doing? Like, you don't aim for that. Like, 220 uphill. He's hitting up, I don't know, four iron or something in there. Like he didn't have great control of his ball. And I'm sitting there and it just drove me nuts because I'm thinking, why is he even having this conversation? You play that ball in the middle of the green, you're going to have a 25 footer, you know, or whatever, two putt, you move on, right? Phil does not play that game. I'm just telling you right now, <laughs> Phil Mickelson just no. doesn't do that, right? And a lot of door pros don't either. They're trying to get everything as close to the hole as possible. So there's no hazards. There's no way. You can get short-sided in the bunker, which, by the way, Phil got short-sided in the bunker. Okay? So I'm like, ha, see, Phil? You know, like that's what I'm thinking in my mind. Guess what he did? Mm-hmm. He chipped it. He hit it out. He hit his bunker shot to six inches. And that's why, because their short game is so nasty. So <laughs> unbelievably good. Now, if there was water to the right of that hole, he would not Don't have been right. having that conversation, right? Correct. So this is the level that these guys are on. I mean, they were – Tim Mickelson's looking – I mean, they looked at the wind eight times. They're talking about is it a rounded hook? Is it a high draw? Like 
I mean, it was an incredible moment, right, for me just to kind of listen to them have that conversation. And it just goes to show, like me as a as a plus handicap golfer, nowhere near the ability to have that like thought coming to mind. So you can see how you progress through the levels. So if you are looking for ways to help your game, let's say you're struggling with driving, don't look for a tip from a tour player. That's what I'm saying, right? Correct. This is kind of what my point is. Like they're not human. You can get to a point where you can play on that elite level, but tour players are not, they're just not human. And so find your information at the appropriate place, right? Find it. And, and again, there's lots of great teachers who only work with tour players. So are they going to be the best to help you? I don't know that. Maybe they're great with you as well. But what I'm saying is, Context is what matters. That's Correct. what we've talked about from day one. So, and I think I think if we're going to add real real value to this experience, you the player need to be able to help your coach. And what I mean by that is, if you already know, if you're a level two player and you know that what you need to do to get your shots to green down is controlling quality of strike inside forty yards, then if you go to your coach and say. Hey, look, you know, great to meet you. I'm looking forward to working with you. But, hey, I just really need to hit it more solid inside 40 yards. Now that is taking your coach, and that's saying all the possible things that you guys could possibly work on, and it's whittling it down to one thing that actually is going to make a difference. And now your coach, not only that, not only are you going to be spending time in the right place, but your coach is going to know what to look for. Because a lot of times as a coach, when you don't watch your players play, you literally don't know what to look for. Yeah, and it's it just makes the whole process so much cleaner and so much more likely to yield positive results. Whereas if you just walk into them, I mean, they're probably teaching on a range, so you're going to walk in, you're going to say, "Hey, it's nice to meet you." And you're going to ask the coach, "What do you want to work on?" And most of the time, again, I'm I'm guilty of this as well, so I'm not perfect when it comes to this. But the coach is going to teach you what they want to teach. Which, if they're a full swing guy, they're going to teach you full swing. If they're really good at teaching drivers, they're going to teach you drivers because that's they they they're teaching six lessons a day. And they might be on their sixth lesson, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, I just want to, you know, give a give a good lesson here." But if you go in there and say, "Okay, I've done some digging, I've done some research on my game, I want to get to an elite level, but here's what I really need to work on." Now, as a coach, you're excited because you're saying, "Okay, well, there's actually some some." way for me to track and see that what I'm doing is, is going to be helpful for this person. And now it's going to make that lesson so much more productive than just you standing there getting a generic swing lesson that, that you probably don't need because you might be outperforming your shots to green as a level two golfer. So I don't want to get on this rant for too long, but that's, that's why this thing is, is so important. I think for me, no question. So that's the whole point. You just made the whole, you summarized the whole point of this episode. So it wasn't about figuring out what I do wrong. It's about figuring out a game plan for what I need to work on. And so if you know what you need to work on, you've got it. And so I'll give a quick anecdote um, as we wrap up here, because I think this has been, it's been long, but this is a great episode. You can take it in in chunks, people. You don't have to listen to it all one time, but we're going to go deep dive and we're not going to apologize for that. So I had a, I had a member come to me who I've helped with his full swing in the past. He's kind of a bulky back and plays a lot. of one of those guys that plays a ton, doesn't practice a ton because he's always playing, right? And um, so when things go a little funky with his swing, you know, I kind of get in there and he has like one big miss and we, we work it out. It happens like once every other year. So anyway, he came and he said, hey, today I want to work on short game. And I thought, wow, this is cool. Like, 
this is something different. So um, he's he was probably I think he was probably borderline from level one to level two. He's probably like right in the middle, like a ninety mm-hmm. shooter, right? So he can have a good day and shoot eighty five, but you know shoots ninety, ninety two, ninety four. So we went and looked at his short game, and basically he had no short game skill. Okay, and what I mean by that was he took a sand wedge, and all he tried to do was hit it soft for shorter ones, and he tried to make a bigger swing for longer ones. He played it off his back toe, so he had these big kind of technique issues, right? So we worked for 30 minutes on his short game, and he has completely jumped levels. He is now... Wow. He, yeah. I, I saw him two days later, and I knew this was going to happen because it, I just basically taught him how to chip, if I have to be quite honest, okay? So all I said was, like, let's learn how to hit the one that just comes off lower and runs, right? So we worked on the proper technique, and he came in the next maybe three or four days later. I saw him. I said, how's it going? He goes, well, I've shot 78, 77. Okay, but I knew it because he basically told me he's like from twenty thirty yards. I don't get it on the green. Like I either I either catch it or I don't. You know, I don't or like. So the point was, gosh, he he came in with an awareness of what was going on. Yes, he jumped levels fast. Okay, this can happen for you people. It can happen if you know what it is you need to work on and you find a good coach that can help you with it. You can 100% jump levels. I've seen it all the time. It's not always that clean, but that guy had a lot of the other stuff in alignment. He hit the ball well. Like, it, other than the occasional, like, you know, I get the hooks from time to time, like, hits the ball well because he plays a lot and he's proficient with his ball striking. The short game had no game plan. And it was just interesting to me because I think there's a lot, I bet you there's a lot of people listening to this that probably feel the same way. And if I said, what's a chip shot or what's a pitch shot or what club do you use for that from there? You'd probably be like, eh, I'm not sure exactly what I do, you know, like I'm a point A and point B kind of player, right? Here I am. And there, there's the hole. And I just try to hit it over there. So when you talk about level one, two, and three, you're starting to see that proximity to the hole, eliminating disruptors. So not only did he eliminate disruptors, he started hitting it close to the hole. Like yeah, it was it phenomenal. Fives too. It was. Like it he was, started throwing a couple birdies. Oh maybe. yeah, like it was phenomenal. And he's already a good yeah. putter, so it was like it was just this really efficient lesson that probably saved him. I don't know, eight or nine shots around, like an incredible amount yeah. of shots around. So my point would be, people, listen, get lessons, okay. It, you can, if you have a good teacher, which we'll get to in one of these episodes, find the right person for you. Um, invest in instruction. I believe in it. I see it every day. Rob believes in it. He sees it every day. Good instructors are out there. They're ready to help you. They're eager to help you. Hopefully, they understand some of this. If not, I think we're going to be a really good resource for some young instructors or some people that are are, are learning and growing like we are um, through this series as well. So. I would like to just wrap today by saying thank you, Rob. I thought that was a phenomenal episode. Um, I'm glad people listen to us. We do have an Instagram, right? Can you tell them about that? We do. It's called The Golf Intervention. Uh, we're going to – I think we <laughs> we currently only have one post. I think it's just our, our title. Currently. Um, currently. Yeah, yeah, currently, yes. Yeah, but we're, uh, we're going to be getting there. We're going to be posting um, – videos of, of some of the content, concepts that we talk about in the uh, in the podcast and working with students on these concepts. Um, but then we might also, you know, have some fun with it and just ask for questions. If you start following us, if you have questions on 
um, anything that we cover, then we'll definitely try to get to that for sure. What we could probably do is just do a question post. So it's like a picture. It's a, like a big question mark. And you can drop your questions in there about anything you've heard. And yeah. we'll, we'll be glad to answer them at the end of our episodes. Or maybe we'll just throw in some bonus episodes that are just answering the questions from the people. Because we do want to connect with you. And we are going to do that. We'll have, an, we'll have a um, website under construction. We'll have email up and running. All these things. But we wanted to get the podcast going. This is why we're on. We're glad you're listening. Like I said, follow us on Instagram. Um, tell our, tell your friends and golfers and, and, and family members and coworkers about us. It's the only way we'll really gain any listeners. We're not going to – we don't have a marketing budget as far as I know, do we, Rob? So <laughs> I think we're just putting good faith into the space and hoping good things come out the other side. That's all we're motivated by. So thanks again, Rob. Thank you for listening. Catch us next time where we talk about, is it equipment next time? I believe so. We're going to be talking about equipment. This will be very fun. So tune in next time. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you.